It's another Monday pun day here on The Inner Life. Hope you had a great weekend. On Saturday, my wife and I attended a wedding. It was beautiful. The reception got rather emotional, though. Even the cake was in tears. Helping you grow deeper on your spiritual journey. Welcome to The Inner Life with Patrick Conley. Welcome to The Inner Life. I'm Patrick Conley. Happy to be sharing this hour of spiritual direction with you. Seriously, I hope this weekend was a good one for you. Maybe you got outside for a little R&R. Well, my wife and I really did attend a wedding on Saturday. As a young man, I had actually sponsored coming into the Catholic Church, began the adventure of being a husband. Altogether, a really great nuptial mass and Christ-centered reception. Congratulations again, Christopher and Camilla. Of course, Sunday brought with it a celebration of the Most Holy Trinity. And though it was something I didn't foresee, it was wonderfully appropriate that the wedding and Trinity Sunday fell back-to-back for me this weekend. Christian marriage is a powerful symbol of the perfection of love and self-gift that's found in the Holy Trinity. And of course, a married couple rightly participates in the divine love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and the love that they share with one another and their children. But since the Most Holy Trinity can be such an elusive, even if centrally important, mystery in our Catholic faith, we're going to explore it on the show today. What are good ways of trying to understand the Trinity? What difference does the Trinity make in your life? We'll take up these questions and more today with our spiritual director, Father Joseph Ilo. Father Ilo is currently pastor at Star of the Sea Parish in San Francisco, and he also gives retreats to Mother Teresa's missionaries of charity around the world. Good morning, Father. Good to have you back. Good morning, Patrick. Happy day after Trinity Sunday. Yes, that's right. Celebrate. Let's make it into an octave, shall we? <laughs> I was thinking about that. You know, I had the I had many masses yesterday as well, and I couldn't find a chasuble with the Holy Trinity on it, so I picked the one with the Holy Family. And, and as you say, the the Family is you know the manifestation of the Holy Trinity. It's yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, um, it is. It is. All right. So, Father, um, I was just joking with Thomas, who's producing the show today before the show began, that. Uh, um, yeah, we'll we'll have some good conversation today. I said, well, it's it's taken two thousand years to still try to unpack the nature of the Trinity, and we don't quite have it down yet. We've got great insights, though. So why don't you start us off just with a general kind of definition of the Trinity? What are we talking about when we talk about the Trinity? Well, first of all, a disclaimer, which is it's the great mystery that no one can explain, no one can really plumb the depths of. So, with fear and trembling. With humility, we come before God to talk about what is really the core mystery of God's God's substance. It's the fundamental dogma of our faith, the essential message of Scripture in the Church. That is that there is one God, but in three persons, always and ever in an eternal exchange of love between persons. Love is the essential core of all that is. God is love. St. John says in his first letter. But to love, you need another person. You need to be able to give something yourself, give love to another person. So if God is love, he needs other persons to love. And may we say, trembling, that this is the reason that God 
is is a trinity of persons because he is love. Mm. Really, love makes the world go round. Love ignited the Big Bang. Love gets me up in the morning. It powers all human activity, but not a superficial, ego-centered love. It's God's own eternal self-giving and receiving that is the love of the Holy Trinity. Mm. So, God the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, and the fruit of their love is the Holy Spirit. And that's why we say that family is the most beautiful manifestation of this divine reality. Mm. That the Father loves the Mother, the Mother loves the Father, and the fruit of their love is the child. And the child loves both parents, and the both parents love the child. So if we put our intellects, uh, our intellectual backs into the task of trying to understand God's essence, we will go into the Holy Trinity. And really, the Trinity distinguishes Christianity from all other world religions. Hinduism, for example, is polytheistic, pantheistic, many gods. Buddhism is really a, a philosophy more than a religion, kind of an agnosticism. Islam and Judaism are monotheistic, but also monopersonal, believing only in one person, in God. Mm. Only Christianity believes in an interpersonal monotheism. And that's why we created in his image, we human beings, thirst for community, thirst for relationship. We're wired for relationship because we are made in his image, who is essentially a relationship. Mm. Okay, I think we can take the rest of the show just in silence to meditate on what you just told <laughs> yeah. us, Father. So take that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah, again, this uh, this kind of uh, the nature of the Trinity being one of love, it's one that we, again, could spend and should spend our entire lives contemplating and growing in relationship with. And this is just to dispel any notions early in the show here as we're talking about the Trinity. Father, we're, what we're not saying, as, as, as difficult as it may be to understand um, in any kind of uh, reasonable, logical sense, um, one nature, three persons— uh, it doesn't at all mean that we are then somehow excluded from relationship. In fact, it's quite the opposite. What I'm hearing you say is that we are actually created to be invited into that relationship. Right, that as relationship is the essence of God, that is giving and receiving love, it's, it, it, it's effusive. Love is always effusive. It goes beyond itself. That's why married love has to be open to children in its essence, because it needs to be able to blossom, to go beyond itself. And so the Holy Trinity's love goes beyond itself, inviting the, the human person, all of us, into the inner life of the Trinity. That's, you know, what we want is home, most of all. We want a place where we can dwell, where there's perfect harmony. We, we try to get that, of course, Thanksgiving dinners, Christmas dinners. We hope for that in our home lives and our marriages. It always falls short. But the perfect realization of our longing for home is the Holy Trinity. And, and so we have to put all of our energies in, in this life into getting home. We, we must get home. 
to dwell within the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to dwell within their love. I love it. Thank you very much, Father. Our spiritual director today, Father Joseph Ilo, currently pastor of Star of the Sea Parish in San Francisco and giver of retreats to Mother Teresa's Missionaries of Charity around the world. We're talking today about well, yesterday's celebration of the Most Holy Trinity. We're talking about the Trinity Day and the inner life. Do you struggle to understand the Trinity, or do you have a favorite way, a favorite analogy, bearing in mind all analogies limp, especially when it comes to describing our triune God? Well, we'd love to hear it anyway, 888 Or maybe you've had the opportunity to try to explain the Trinity to someone else, maybe a child. What have you used? What have been important and helpful uh, analogies or stories to tell about understanding the Trinity? Again, 888 We'd love to hear from you. Or send us an email, innerlife at relevantradio.com. Well, Father, one of the things, because if I'm not mistaken, we never find the word Trinity in Scripture, but that doesn't mean that it's not there. So where do we encounter the Trinity in all of Scripture? The very beginning, the book of Genesis, we, um, the, the, the term we is used, the, the pronoun, the plural, first person plural, instead of I, we, um, or God, uh, man was made in the divine image in our image. So there are traces of it also in um, the Genesis story of Abraham and the Oak of Mamre, where three angels come to ask him some questions, and he gives them a meal. And uh, so the three persons are hinted at in these three angels. And also the singular pronoun is used in that once, that um, the three are one. (laughs) So there are these odd traces of the Holy Trinity in the Old Testament, but then in the New Testament, of course, the baptism of our Lord, where you hear the voice of the Father and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit as a dove, and all throughout um, in John's Gospel, the um, farewell discourses of our Lord that I will send the another advocate from the Father who will teach you everything. Mm -hmm. The Father and I are one, our Lord says, but there is a a second advocate, the Holy Spirit. So this developed in the Church's understanding of God, and the Catechism, this is number 249, there's a beautiful section on the Trinity in the Catechism, uh, number numbers 249 to 260. So if anybody wants to do some homework after this show, but 249, (laughs) Catechism of the Catholic Church, from the beginning, the revealed truth of the Holy Trinity has been at the very root of the Church's living faith, principally by means of baptism. So from the very beginning, we are not just baptized in the name of Jesus. We are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as Jesus ordered in Matthew 28, the last thing he said, before ascending into heaven in that gospel. He gave us a very clear uh, formula for baptism in the triune God. So taking our cue from that, the Church has tried to understand how God has defined himself through Holy Scripture, not only Jesus, but also the Old Testament, as a relationship, a a community of persons, rather than just a monopersonal God. Mm Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, well, and, and right, it's it's littered throughout, and I, I like the uh, inclusion of the Old Testament as well, that it's it's not something that was just initially revealed only in and through the person of Jesus, although it was uh, most fully revealed in and through his person, but um, we see glances and glimmers of it throughout the Old Testament as well. So mm-hmm. uh, let's, take a, let's take a couple phone calls here, Father. We've got people calling in with their ideas of how to understand the Trinity. If you have ways of understanding that have helped you or if you've hel- if been helpful to you in explaining it to someone else, give us a call. Tell us what those are, 888 Again, 888 Let's go first to Father Bill calling in from Chicago. Father Bill, welcome to the program. Thank you, and good morning. And now good morning, Father Bill. Me- <laughs> good morning. So an analogy that helps me understand tremendously how a reality can be three in one simultaneously with respect to the Trinity is the analogy of fire. So when we look at a fire, picture the flame at the top of a candle uh, on, on the altar, for example. It seems to be one fused reality. It doesn't seem to be divided or, or have any uh, subdivisions or anything. At the same time, when we look at that fused reality, we do distinguish between the fire itself and the heat and the light that it produces. And those three realities are coexist, perfectly coexistent. So as soon as the fire is lit, you also get the heat and the light that it produces. And as soon as you extinguish the, the flame, all three disappear. Now for us Christians, uh, this is a particularly apt analogy because it corresponds to under our understanding of the second and third persons of the Trinity, the Son and the Spirit. So the light that the fire produces corresponds to the Son, as the Lord himself said in John eight twelve, I am the light of the world, and the Spirit, which is the, the love that unites the Father and the Son, that is represented by the heat of the, the flame. <clears throat> Now, both the Son and the Spirit in the Christian economy have effects outside of themselves. So, for example, when we read about the Son in the Scriptures, we're we're led to conversion. Down through the ages, the Son has created effects outside of himself. Similarly, the Spirit. When we see the Spirit in the sacraments, that causes conversion to us. It gives us enlightenment and empowerment to lead a Christian life. This is the same with the flame. So the, uh, the heat in the flame has an effect uh, outside itself. It warms <clears throat> people's hands or it cooks food. And the same with the, uh, uh, the light uh, of the flame. It has an effect outside of itself. That is, it, it provides light for people to see things. Now, where are the analogy limps? As you mentioned, Pat, <laughs> all analogies limp. Especially right. a human analogy trying to uh, understand the transcendent mystery of God is the aspect of co-equality. And I don't know how many people would say that the heat and the light of the flame are, are equal to the flame itself. Although I think that if you look at it a certain way, you might be able to say that. Anyway, the analogy of flame for me has always been extremely helpful uh, when it comes to uh, trying to get to an understanding of what the liturgy has said yesterday over and over again, three and one and one and three. So that's, uh, that's what I offer uh, to help to understand that great mystery. Thank you, Father Bill. There, there's so many images. Uh, I've never thought of the flame 
But really, as you say, a flame without heat or without light wouldn't be a flame. And yet the light and the heat and the flame um, are, are not individually are not fire. So the, so the, the fire is the substance, but the, the way we perceive that. So that's that's a very beautiful. There are other images, too. I mean, we know that famously St. Patrick used the shamrock. Uh, one of my favorites is also is water. Water is water, but it's got three uh, manifestations, uh, as do all substances, uh, gas, solid, and liquid. So all of these things, as you point out, Father Bill, are manifestations, traces of the inner life of God throughout creation. Yeah, thank you, Father Bill. Great, uh, great explanation of that particular analogy, and uh, a good admission where it limps as well. And 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 we see that in all the analogies that we use. Thank you for the call, Father. Appreciate that. Appreciate you calling into the inner life. And uh, let's go now to Carlos, who's calling in from Tampa, Florida. Carlos, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. How are you doing today? Yeah, doing well. Excellent. What have you got for us, Carlos? How does the Trinity affect you, or how do you know, best understand the Trinity? <clears throat> well, the, you know there are there are a lot of uh, a lot of analogies, like you know the egg, the yolk, the white, and the shell, the fire thing, the ice, the water, and the steam. Um, all of those help us to understand the three-in-one concept, but really we need to know why. Why is there three? Why is there, there a trilogy three-in-one? And the way I see it, um, God manifests himself in three persons so that there are always at least two witnesses to every act in the universe, um, you know, since creation on. Hmm. That, yeah, that's important. I mean, our, our Lord says that in the Bible too. That um, on the on the strength of two or three witnesses, and He says that the Spirit witnesses. Mm-hmm. He uses that word in the New Testament. So that's also a good insight into why. I, I think also that's a very fundamental question that you bring up. Why? Why do we think? Why does God tell us that there are three persons? That, why not four? Why not eight? Why not one? And um, I think why also is the answer is love, that we cannot love alone. We need to love another person and to receive another person's love. And so I'd say without knowing the Trinity, without understanding the giving and receiving of self to another, we cannot know love ourselves. Without love, we die. And the Trinity shows us how to live, how to love. So uh, also, and I think another, beside, beyond the witness of two other persons is really so that we, could, we can know how to love. Hmm. Yeah, excellent. And, and that's the, the foundation, the fundamental piece as you began the show with, Father, was, um, was all around that love and showing that there is, that is, uh, you, you need to always in in our analogous kind of grasping for the trinity we always need to remember to incorporate that love somewhere along the line 
which again goes back to a wonderful representation of the Trinity in married family life uh, between a man, a woman, and a child. So wonderful. Appreciate that. Carlos, thank you for the insight about there being two witnesses in order for a testimony to be valid and viable. So thank you for that. Great on way of understanding the Trinity. If you have a way of understanding the Trinity or a way in which you have used to explain the Trinity to someone else, or to attempt, I should say, to explain the Trinity to someone else, give us a call. Let us know what it is. 888-914-9149. Again, 888-914-9149. We're going to take a short break here on The Inner Life, but we'll be back with more right after this. If you are in the market for health insurance, our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is here to help you and your family find the most cost-effective health plan. Learn more at relevantradio.com slash forester. Welcome back to The Inner Life here on Relevant Radio on RelevantRadio.com and the Relevant Radio app. My name is Patrick Conley, our spiritual director today, Father Joseph Ilo, giving giver of retreats to Mother Teresa's missionaries of charity around the world, as well as pastor at Star of the Sea Parish in San Francisco. We're talking about the Most Holy Trinity today that we celebrated throughout the day yesterday as a solemnity of the Most Holy Trinity. If you have great ways of understanding the Trinity, ways that you have entered into the life of the Trinity and you've sensed the importance of that in your life, give us a call. Let us know what those are. 888-914-9149. 9149 uh, Let's go back to the phones. We've got Tom, who's calling in from Stockton, California. Tom, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much. Uh, great show. I appreciate it. I do have a thought for uh, Father Ilo. In uh, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God uh, created the heavens and the earth. The word God is Elohim in Hebrew, and the M on the end of Elohim always means plural. And I know Elohim, or a derivative of Elohim, is used uh, probably around 700 times in the Old Testament. I wonder if there is, it would be bad Hebrew to... Uh, tie in Trinity to Elohim, but it is a plural, and I wonder if there's any comment or thought about that. Thanks. Well, thank you, Tom. I, I don't know Hebrew, so I can't speak directly to that, but in uh, Genesis 126, there's the famous line, then God, I assume that's Elohim, and as you say, perhaps it's in plural even there, then God said, let us make man in our image, in the divine image he created him, male and female. So there, even if uh, Elohim, the question about Elohim being singular or plural, but that's manifest also in the pronouns used. And again, I don't know the Hebrew behind that, so I can't uh, pontificate on that question. Mm. But that's a really good point, Tom. Mm. Yeah, good one. Okay, well, thanks very much. That was very good. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for the insight, Tom. I appreciate that as well. Uh, and that's that's one of these ways as we're delving into the mystery. And for I think for, for many of us, or at least let me speak personally, for some of us, including myself, these mysteries are so intriguing that they just draw us in. But I think one of the things that we want to get into here on the show today is what if— what if it isn't? What if it has the opposite effect? What if this incomprehensibility of 
one nature, three persons of our triune God and what that actually means. What if it actually ends up repelling some people? They don't quite understand it, so they kind of throw it all out. We're going to get into that, but if you have ways that you have encountered the Most Holy Trinity in your life and a difference that that's made, give us a call, 888-914-9149. Let's go to Carter calling in from San Diego. Carter, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me on. Yeah. Um, so Yeah, so I needed a quick clarification. So we see specifically, I think it's in John 10 or 14, where um, Jesus is referring to himself uh, like as one with the Father. Um, but then there's, uh, I forget which other Gospels it is, but then he's, he's saying uh, in some passages that the Father is greater than the Son. Um, and then I think he was talking about the, um, like the end times where not, not even the Son uh, knows when this will happen, but only the Father. So it seems like um, Jesus, the Son of God, is lower than the Father when, um, according to the Trinity, he is equal with the Father. So why does Jesus say that? Well, that's a good question, Carter. And what comes to mind at first for me is that the Son is essentially receptive. The Father begets the Son, but He begets the Son eternally. This is really beyond our ability to understand how they can be equal, but one is begotten by the other. So we would say, well, then the Son is less than the Father, as in human relationships. Obviously, the Son takes his life from the Father. But in the case of the Trinity, it's an eternal begetting, an eternal generation. And so, in humility, and in his his, um, relation to the Father, he is receptive. He is, and so, when he says things like, not even the Son knows when that day will come, or the Father is greater than I, in this sense that he is a son in in his sonship, in his humility. And so we hold these two truths together at the same time, which seem to cancel each other out, but it's that's part of the mystery, that they are co-equal, but the son takes his is begotten by the Father. He, in once, uh, he takes his substance from the Father. Now I'm wading into waters that I'm not confident right now. <laughs> so uh, again, the, I'm sorry to tremble again. But the um, the the key thing here is that the Church defines, the Church interprets the Scripture as co-equal, and so everything that we hear from the the Lord or in Scripture that seems to contradict that is actually a complement to it, given this core teaching of the unity of substance of the three persons. So we have to just keep thinking this through and asking for guidance to hold to this core dogma that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are co-equal and consubstantial. Hmm. Okay. I don't know if that helps. Uh, yeah, I know. Okay. <laughs> it's it's a great mystery. But uh, again, when you grow up, when I when we grow up and, and we are sons and, and we are in a sense equal to our father, we have children of our own, even grandchildren, we will always be in a, um, the, the uh, relationship of son to that father, even though we are 
we're equal to our father in, in one way, but we'll always be a son to that father in another way. Okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Great, Carter. Thank you for the call. Great question. And if you have questions about the Trinity, which uh, I think most folks probably do if they stop and think about it for a minute, they probably have (laughs) quite a few questions about the Trinity. So um, we will attempt to uh, give a good answer. Our spiritual director today, Father Joseph Ilo, I I think you've been doing an admirable job, Father, so thank you, even if Trump... I'm on a tightrope, Patrick. (laughs) You are. Just fall off at any moment. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I haven't already. Even the spiritual greats of our of our Catholic history, um, yeah, this is something it's it's difficult to encapsulate by definition. So um, well, let me just uh, please uh, Saint Gregory of Nazianzus about the year three sixty A.D. said, and this is from the Catechism, but um, he's quoted: "I have not even begun to think of unity when the Trinity bathes me in its splendor." I have not even begun to think of the Trinity when unity grasps me. So he's he himself is in wonder at this mystery, and, and having both at the same time in his mind is overwhelming for him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Thank you, Father, for that. Uh, let's go now to Tom calling in from Grand Terrace, California. Tom, welcome to the show. Yes, hi. Thank you guys for inviting me and giving me this opportunity to share some thoughts here. You know, I'll make a reflection here real quick. Uh, Whenever I listen to the creed, I used to always wonder what it meant in the creed that says God from God, life from life, true God from true God. And it just passed over my head, just not really thinking much about it. It was too deep. And then as I started to study my faith more, I realized, hmm, something to do with essence, progression, of, this, of the same substance, and that kind of really got me more into into depth and under you know God is a mystery, so we can't fully comprehend everything. But when I thought of Tertullian and how he explained uh, God and the Trinity, and he spoke about the Son and how the Son is the source of light, and the light and the rays proceed from that source, yet being the source the light rays never cease to be the sun. You know, they're the same essence, they're the same substance. I think that's the, he says, uh, thus Christ is spirit of spirit and God of God, as light of light is kindled. Uh, the material matrix remains entire and unimpaired, though you derive mm-hmm. from it any number of shoots possessed. He just goes on and really demonstrates that continuation of the source. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> well, it, it does. And um, I think it's wonderful that so many of our callers are quoting the fathers, or getting really a high level of theological reflection here. But this is where we go. We go to Scripture, also quoting Scripture. We go to the Scriptures, and the best and the brightest, most graced thinkers of our tradition to try to understand this. But uh, So what you just yeah. said, Tom, that quoting Tertullian, that the the rays proceed from the sun, but are not diminished. And so it's, I think the key thing here is there's an eternal progression. There's eternal energy. It's never diminished, never changed, not bound by time. That's the eternal exchange of love. That's the core energy of the universe. 
That's what ignited the Big Bang, is the love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it will never cease. And we are invited into that eternal... Ex- I mean, that's, that's a goal worth dedicating our lives for. Yeah. I, you know, I also uh, wanted to comment that um, when you think of the lover, you know, the Father who is the lover, and love in itself is self-giving and outpouring and sacrificial. I mean, what purpose? Mm-hmm. There's the, the concept of love has no meaning unless there's a beloved, mm-hmm. unless it has mm-hmm. somewhere to go forward. So mm-hmm. uh, when you think of the Father loving the Son, as you said, mm-hmm. that eternal progression, eternally over time, uh, and, the, and the Son receiving the love, and in return, loving the Father in such a fruitful, life-giving, flowing manner, you know, from that love proceeds uh, love itself, the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. a third person. So that, that, that familial relationship between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit uh, always captures my mind. So thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you, Tom. You know, that uh, what relevance has the doctrine of the Trinity to us now? And the answer is marriage preparation. The best marriage preparation is to contemplate the mystery of the Holy Trinity, to understand how the Father loves the Son. He is the lover, as you put it, Tom. The Son is the beloved. The uh, Spirit is the fruit. But so much of our contemporary culture defines love as getting, as acquiring, as as exercising my uh, ego. And the Trinity stands athwart that. The Trinity says that the greatest, most uh, blessed action is to give, not to get. Life is about giving, not getting. And if people entered into marriage with a better sense of that, we'd have more uh, fruitful and and prosperous marriages and and therefore a more fruitful, prosperous society. Very good. I love it that we are already factoring in the the reality of the Trinity. It makes a difference on how we go about our day-to-day life of faith, and that's what we want to get into here as we maybe enter the last third of the show. But I do see that. Uh, so, Tom, thank you for that. Thank you for the call. Good comments there. I do see that uh, Anne calling in from Minneapolis also. I think Anne has another uh, church father to talk about when it comes to the Trinity. Anne, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Um, the Athanasian Creed. I, I, I only read it for the first time, probably just five, six years ago. I don't know, but I've never read a more beautiful, concise creed. I've never heard the Trinity explained the way it is. How, you know, it's there's forty points to it, and mine is from this 1962 missal. And um, I don't know if there's variations out there, but it's it's totally beautiful, worth reading and contemplating. And that's all I got. <laughs> Thank you, Ann. Uh, you know, I've been a priest 32 years, and I've never read the Athanasian Creed. So I just pulled it up on Wikipedia just now, and that's what I'm going to do after this show. Is I'm going to take <laughs> that into my whole. I'm going to take that to my holy hour this afternoon. Yeah. It's, oh, it's, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is total beauty. It's total beauty. Well, thank you for having me. 
Yeah, okay. thank you, Anne. Yeah, <laughs> very good. A, a, a great, uh, there is a, there's a great uh, explanation. It's been a while since I've read it, but uh, great kind of grappling. You can almost hear it as Athanasius is putting forward these uh, these statements about the reality of our triune God, and yet there's still, you can feel, <laughs> you can feel the intellectual grasping going on and say, wow, well, we, we got to put it this way. No, we got to put it that way. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And thank you so much. And I'll just uh, wrap up our little comments about the church fathers on the Trinity father was sharing with you. One of my favorites when it comes to, especially trying to understand the Trinity comes from St. Augustine himself, who said, si comprehendis nos Deus. So in other words, if you understand, mm-hmm. it's not God. <laughs> so that's one of my favorites. Uh, so we're talking about the Trinity here on The Inner Life with our spirit director, Father Joseph Ilo. If you have great ways of understanding the Trinity, and more so, um, if the Trinity has made a conceivable or perceivable uh, difference in your walk of faith, what does it mean to you that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this eternal cha- exchange of divine love? Give us a call. Let us know what difference the Trinity has made in your life. 888-914-9149. Again, 888-914-9149. Or send us an email, relevantradio.com. We'll be back with more of how the Trinity affects our life of faith right after this. Today, we'd like to thank Lawrence, who is listening in Illinois, for donating his 1994 Yamaha Wave Runner. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles, trucks, boats, and RVs by visiting relevantradio.com slash car. That's relevantradio.com slash car. Okay, Patrick, tell us a bit more about this Trinity thing. Yeah, Patrick, tell us. (laughs) There you go. I'm sure many of our listeners may be familiar with that. A little clever video that talks about St. Patrick's Bad Analogies, which is the title of the video brought to us by our friends and brothers and sisters over at Lutheran Satire. Check that out at lutheransatire.org. Yeah, my name is Patrick Conley. My thanks to Thomas Angusser producing the show today and Sarah Tafoya fielding our phone calls, which have been many and good. We've been talking about better ways to understand the Trinity. And our spiritual director is Father Joseph Ilo, pastor at Star of the Sea Parish in San Francisco and a giver of retreats to Mother Teresa's Missionaries of Charity. And Father, since we did celebrate the Most Holy Trinity in our Sunday Masses yesterday then certainly there is at least an inroad, if not into better understanding, at least into better relationship and uh, better being incorporated into the divine love precisely through the liturgy, is there not? There is. And before we get into that, I'd let you, I will tell my friends that I talked about the Holy Trinity with Patrick today. Patrick, <laughs> That's very good. Get, I like that. You have to have some Irish in you, don't you? I do, I do indeed, yeah. yeah. But uh, that doesn't make me an expert on the Trinity by any stretch of the imagination. Well, I'm, so. a, I'm a little afraid to talk about the Trinity with St. Patrick, but here yeah. we go. So the Mass, every Mass, we you mentioned we had the Mass of the Holy Trinity yesterday, all over the world, and but every Mass is the Mass of the Holy Trinity. That is, the preface of the Holy Trinity is the gold standard especially in the older form of the Mass, but in, but in also in really all forms of the Mass, the Byzantine tradition and the different rites, it's, the prayers are essentially Trinitarian. And so I often do the votive Mass of the Holy Trinity on Mondays if it's a, there's, there's no Saints' Day that 
So just to be able to enter more deeply into the Trinity through the Mass. But as I say, the Mass is essentially our Lord, so the Son, offering himself to the Father in the Holy Spirit. That is what is happening at every moment of the Mass. How does that come to us? Well, the Mass is essentially relational. It's not personal prayer. It's a communal expression of prayer, reflecting the reality of what is happening in the Mass, the Son offering himself to the Father and the Holy Spirit. So when we go to Mass, we are entering into the inner life of the Holy Trinity. We're entering into heaven. We could say with um, people of the past, we did not know whether we were in heaven or on earth when we were in the Divine Liturgy. That's how the Sunday Mass should be for us. It's not always that way. I mean, we, we get distracted. Maybe the liturgy isn't always done perfectly, but the, the core reality of the Mass is we have entered into the love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the prayers, uh, as I say, the preface of the Holy Trinity and, and all the prefaces, and the beginning of the Mass is the sign of the cross, uh, we make the sign of the cross several times during the Mass. The Byzantine liturgy makes the sign of the cross about 30 or 40 times. Mm. And each sign of the cross is a profession of faith in the Holy Trinity. So the more you go to Mass, the better you go to Mass, the better you enter into this eternal exchange of love. I see that, Father, and it's such a it's a great reminder that again, back to the eternal exchange of love being the, the very nature, the very essence of the Holy Trinity, uh, Holy Trinity itself. That is when we say God is love because it is one nature in three persons: Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, and in, maybe just as a follow up to that, though, is there anything that we p- should particularly be paying attention to when we go to mass that will help us to recognize how we're being drawn into that eternal exchange of love, Father? What do you think? Well, I think making the sign of the cross well. The priest begins with the sign of the cross, and I, I look out and people are kind of distracted, maybe thinking about other things or settling into their pews. So get to Mass on time so you can make the sign of the Trinity with the priest and thoughtfully and well. And then uh, pay attention very closely. Pray to the Holy Spirit for insight and wisdom as the Scriptures are read. And then at the Mass of at the Liturgy of the Eucharist, the Eucharistic prayer, kneel with your eyes and your heart lifted up. The priest will say, sorsum corda, right? Lift up your hearts. Hearts up, literally in Latin. Hearts need to be up, not just hearts, but minds and hearts. We lift them up to the Father with, by means of the Son and the Holy Spirit. So to try to see the work of the Mass as a work of the entire all three persons of the of the entire substance of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. I, I would also say, how do we make the Trinity more real in our lives? Yeah. Make the sign of the cross all the time. That is, before and after meals, before taking a trip, before and after every prayer. 
before and after every meeting, every staff meeting I have, we begin with the sign of the Trinity. We end with the sign of the Trinity. And um, pray with your children before going to bed. Make, make the sign of the cross over them. Bless them on their forehead with the sign of the Trinity. St. Patrick said, I sign myself with the sign of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You could see him, imagine him doing that in the wilds of Ireland, pre-Christian Ireland, signing himself against danger, against demons, against enemies. So relying on the presence of the Holy Trinity by signing ourselves often in the name of the Trinity. I think that's a great point, Father, because I've uh, encountered in my own life, as well as uh, just speaking with other Catholic friends, that the uh, sign of the cross. So that's something I began doing um, only just a little bit before I came into the Catholic Church in 2010. Mm. So I haven't been doing it my whole life. But even now, I, I can see 13 years on. Yeah, there is this uh, propensity towards not really thinking about it when I do it. It's just become kind of a mechanical rote thing. But I love the injunction that you're giving to, you know, if you let that happen, be careful about what it may, you know, we need to invoke the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit reverently and seriously when we do that. That's yeah, you I'm know, in the say. older form of the Mass, there's 12 signings hmm. throughout the liturgy. and uh, But the priests would do it so quickly because there's so many of them. Uh, one of the altar boys said he thought the priest was shooing away flies. Oh, wow. uh, at, the past yeah. because he was making these three signs of the cross so quickly. And I, I have to catch myself. Okay, I got 12 signs of the cross to make throughout this Mass. Mm. But each one should be done carefully and reverently. Yeah. Yeah. It's very good and a, a wonderful reminder of that. How about this, Father? Um, as we're talking about, you're talking about praying uh, the Mass intentionally and, uh, and and entering in, recognizing, especially when we make the sign of the cross, the presence of each member of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, mm. What is the fruit, would you say, to be born from praying maybe to a specific member and, and each of the specific members of the Trinity? Prayers to the Father, prayers to the Son, prayers to the Holy Spirit. Is that another way of entering into the reality of the Trinity? Yes, good point. That there are specific prayers to each of the three persons. So obviously the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, but many prayers to Jesus, but also to the Holy Spirit, the, the forgotten member of the Holy Trinity, because he's invisible. And so I, I was a chaplain at Thomas Aquinas College for a couple of years, and I was impressed that before every class, they say the prayer to the Holy Spirit. Because we live in the age of the Holy Spirit until the return of the Lord, the second coming. So I've done that myself before any appointment, spiritual direction, or all of our meetings. I pray, I lead the people in the prayer to the Holy Spirit. Come, O Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of thy faithful. So I think attention needs to be given to the Holy Spirit in this time in which we depend He's running the church right now. So get into the habit of praying specifically by name to the Holy Spirit would be very helpful. Mm. 
Very good. Our spiritual director, Father Joseph Ilo, with some tips on how to make the Trinity more a part of your everyday walk of faith as you continue to seek after our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, Father, as we've got a few minutes left remaining in the show here, uh, just any saints that we might turn to who might have, you talked about the fathers, and a lot of our callers brought up the fathers and helping to understand the Trinity. Any other saints that we should turn to or any resources that you can think of to help us not just understand, but also enter more deeply into the mystery of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the mystery of the Trinity? Well, saints, uh, there's Elizabeth of the Trinity, the great Carmelite, and I would recommend, I haven't read much of her, but um, actually, I'm giving a retreat to some Carmelites this uh, summer, and I'm going to plunge more into Elizabeth of the Trinity. Mm. In terms of documents, in our own time, uh, John Paul II, his first three encyclicals of his long pontificate were to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, I think well, actually the first was Redemptor Hominum. And um, so to the Redeemer of Mankind, the, the first encyclical was uh, to the to the Son, to Jesus. The second one, Dives in Misericordia, Rich in Mercy, to the Father, and then Dominum et Vivificantum to the Holy Spirit. So you could read each of those encyclicals on the three persons of the Holy Trinity. But if you don't have that much time, or not right away, I recommend, other than reading the Athanasian Creed, thank you, Anne, mm-hmm. um, to read the Catechism, Numbers 249 to 260, on the Holy Trinity. It's really a, a tight, concise summary of the essential doctrine. Mm-hmm. And then kind of circling back to one of the things that I had mentioned early on in the program, there might be those who are attempting to grasp the reality of the, of the nature, the essence of our God, who is one nature and three persons. Father, some might take get frustrated. Well, we all would get frustrated, I, I think. But at the same time, to some, that's intriguing into a deeper relationship into this God. And for others, though, there may be this tendency to say, well, that's it. If I can't figure it out, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Or I'm not going to waste my energy. So why, I guess I'm asking you, what what would make it worthwhile? Why is it worthwhile to continue our pursuit of trying to not necessarily comprehend, but at least trying to grasp at the reality of the Trinity? Without knowing the Trinity, we don't know God. That's his core definition. Right. The essential mystery. So as difficult as it might be, and people might be listening, oh, I can't get into Tertullian and Athanasius, but we have to make the effort. That is how God defines himself in the scriptures. And so with, without knowing something about the Trinity, without making an honest effort, mm-hmm. we really don't know God. God oh. is essentially relational. Yeah. So, and and, and it helps us understand ourselves. Without understanding the relationships between the three persons, we can't really have relationships ourselves. You want yeah. relationships? You want love? Learn about the Trinity. Okay. Well, there it is. <laughs> Father, before we let you go, may we have a triune blessing from you, please? May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with all of you and remain forever. Amen. Amen. Our spiritual director has been Father Joseph Ilo talking about the most holy trinity. If you missed any part of it, go back and listen on the show page at relevantradio.com. Coming up next is the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. Listen for the trinity there. And next, tomorrow, the peace of Christ. Hope you can join us then. Until then, grace and peace.